Welcome to What Am I Doing With My Life with me, your host, Alyssa Desai. Ever sit there just thinking, what am I doing with my life? Well, this is the podcast for you. Each episode will share a different woman's journey, normalize not having it all figured out, give you actionable tips and motivate you when you feel stuck, lost and overwhelmed by life. I am beyond excited to be sharing this podcast with you and I hope every conversation you listen to helps you to feel less alone. In this episode, I'm joined by Courtney Smith. Courtney is one of those people that you just want to listen to all their advice. You know she has so much wisdom to share and sitting down speaking to her felt like I was sitting down with an old friend. She's a stylist, creative director, presenter and all-round style maven. She's built an incredible reputation for her creativity, charisma, and drive, and worked with incredible clients such as Louis Vuitton, Brown Thomas, Tommy Hilfiger, and Fourth Arc, while her editorial shoots have been featured in magazines such as Elle Croatia, Harper's Bazaar Hong Kong, and Irish Tatler. Thank you so much for pushing play today. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and you find it helpful. I would appreciate it so much if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to me. And if you email me a screenshot of your review, I will send you a free visualization track. Have a look at the show notes of my email. Join me as we launch straight into Courtney's journey. Tell me about your journey and you can really start wherever you want. So that might be school, that might be uni, that might be after. Well, I work, obviously I'm I'm working in fashion, but I, I think if you ask my parents, they will say that I always knew that I wanted to work in fashion. Like I was like a little, like a fashion girly. Like as a kid, I was always kind of like cutting up clothes. They actually have a photo of me age seven doing a fashion show for my parents at home. And I'd made all these outfits out of tights because obviously you're so tiny. Age seven is also like I was putting like one, like both my feet into one leg and pulling the tights up my body and then cutting holes in things. Uh, so I was obviously just always really inspired and loved fashion. I was always kind of like cutting out magazines and doing lots of mood boarding. Um, so I think if you ask anyone from my childhood, it was a very obvious and natural progression that I would end up somewhere in this sphere. Um, I think in my head, I always wanted to be a designer. Um, and that is what I studied in college. I studied fashion design. But I just think it was it was obviously just ingrained in me. And I don't really I don't really like have a pivotal moment of where it came from. Like my granny was always very glamorous, very fashionable, but I loved dressing up. So like if I was at her house, I'd be putting on her clothes. I'd be putting on her makeup. If I was down at my other grandparents, all my aunties left loads of their like 80s wardrobes at home. So I'd be coming down dressed in my aunties clothes and drawing on beauty spots because like that was obviously a thing in the 80s with all the supermodels. And like there's photos of me with like eyeliner flick, like all the way out to the sides. So I just loved, I think I loved how fashion and clothes were so transformative. And if you see most of the photos of me as a child growing up, I definitely dived into that and I used clothes as a way to express myself. Um, And then when I was in secondary school, I always leaned really heavily into art and home economics. So like the sewing and the drawing and I was always sketching uh, clothes and like girls in clothes. 
And I think very early on, like maybe, you know, when I was like 14, 15, I was like, no, no, fashion is it for me. And I got a sewing machine, I think for like my 13th birthday. And I taught myself. So I was self-taught and I was like tearing up my mum's old clothes and trying to make tops and like even just getting something that was my mum's and cutting holes in it and being like this, because again, it was the the early 90s at that stage. So I was like taking her polonex and cutting the tops off and making them like off the shoulder and wearing them like completely, you know, unfinished. But to me, that was like very much self-expression for me. So that's very much like, I mean, it's it's always been a part of who I am using clothes. And then I was in, I was in a private secondary school and it was very much one where people were going off to do very amazing, amazing things in college, but like very studious. And I was like, I'm going to fashion college. And I, I, like, I, I had to do a portfolio to get in and I had to do interviews to get in, but it wasn't really based on how you did in school. So I knew I'd already been accepted into the college before the exams came, during, came around. So I was kind of like, disinterested in this like I'm doing fashion it's fine and I think other people probably looked at that at the time thinking it was very frivolous and it was a very you know not the usual route that people in my school went down but I was very headstrong I'm actually looking back I'm surprised at how supportive my parents were like they could have very easily been like okay well why don't we go down you know the normal college route and then fashion can be your backup and I actually only had this conversation with one of my aunties recently. Um, and I, I got a bit weepy when she told me the answer. But she said, I said to her, I was like, I'm really surprised, actually, that like my mom in particular, who was a teacher in school and, you know, went to college, became a, an English teacher and was obviously very into that side of, of a- academia. And I was like, I'm just surprised she didn't. I'm glad she didn't. But I'm surprised she didn't push me down doing a normal college route. And my auntie said, oh, we had that conversation with her. Like, so we all sat her down going, are you, because like my sister is the oldest of all the cousins. So, and she went the normal college route and they, all my aunties sat my mum down. They're like, you should be telling Courtney to go and do a normal college course. Are you, are you crazy? And my mum turned around and she goes, I'm not worried about her. She's going to be successful in whatever she does. And I'd never heard that story before until literally like a couple of weeks ago. Aww. And I was just like, I actually started crying when I heard that because I was like, it's such a gorgeous thing for a mum to think or to recognize or to just trust. And she was just like, no, no, she's going to be fine. Um, and I was obviously, you know, just turning 18 years old when she said that. So that that was blind faith from her. It could have obviously gone the other way, but <laughs> I love that though. Honestly, it's made me feel a bit emotional because I, I think know. you know I speak to so many people where they didn't have that support from their parents, and it what they they kind of had this dream when they were young, and their parents are very much like, no, you need to do this. You know, it's often like the safe careers, right? Doctor, lawyer, all those types of things. Work in a corporate company. And it kind of squashes that person's passion and their dreams. And then maybe then they get 30 and they almost have this moment of like, what am I doing? I'm not feeling fulfilled at all. So it's so lovely to hear that your mum was just like, I'm not worried about her. She's going to do amazingly. That's so lovely. And that was actually, you know, as you were talking, I was going to ask you what were your parents like when you had this? So they clearly just fully supported you. 
And I, yeah, they did. And I feel like it's probably something, maybe they were a little bit ahead of their time as well, because I feel like now, now we're living in a totally different world where we know that there are so many different vocations and opportunities out there Mm. that I know that when my kids are older, I will be pushing them down the route of doing something that makes you happy and doing something that, you know, can make like, that's your dream job or, or just a way to live your life that you could potentially also make money because we know that balance now we've learned a lot more, but back then it was very much, your job is to make money so that you can buy your house and do all the, you know, all the things. But yeah, maybe she just had, I guess, well, I mean, nobody knows you better than your mother, do they? So she obviously, she knew that there was a fire in my belly and that I was incredibly passionate. I, I actually don't think I would have taken no for an answer anyway. I, I am very headstrong. And maybe it was a case of she trusted me, but also knew that there was probably no point finding it either because. I would never have been happy doing normal college. It just wasn't for me. So I went to college. It was a two-year city and guilds course in fashion design, but it was full on. So it was like five days a week, nine to five every day. You had to make a full collection and you were you were making the clothes from scratch. So you had to do like everything. And it was amazing because it really gave you a lot of discipline. My friends were all going to college like two hours a day and then going to the pub. And like I joined them maybe once a month. But I think, again, that ingrained a lot, a really great work ethic in me. And then when that was over, I ended up doing a post-grad in London College of Fashion. It's actually a course that I don't think exists anymore, but it was called Fashion Media at the time. And you kind of chose what, what kind of classes you wanted to do within it. But it was meant to incorporate a few different areas of the fashion industry. So I did fashion styling, fashion journalism and fashion PR, which is interesting because I kind of feel like all three of those are wrapped into my career now dip into all three I think as a stylist and as a creative director you have to be good at PR because you are promoting somebody's brand somebody's product so you have to take all of those marketing ideas in when you're coming up with a visual idea anyway and then at the very beginning of my career I would have done a lot of fashion writing I used to report from London Fashion Week a lot for different like magazines and different newspapers so it's all kind of wrapped into my career in a way anyway. But yeah, like, I mean, London was amazing. I I lived there for like 18 months, ran out of money, as you do, came home wanting to be a stylist because I'd been working in London while I was doing the postgrad. I was working for a boutique called Arrogant Cat, which again, I don't know if it's around anymore. I know it, but I, yeah, I don't know yeah it's around anymore yeah but it was a really cool boutique at the time like we used to get all the celebrities in so I was working there as like their kind of manager slash head stylist and great opportunities because I got to style like Alicia Dixon and I was on Gox Fashion Fix and uh, we had like the Girls Aloud Girls in and Amy Winehouse for her like kind of festival season and stuff like that so like amazing opportunities to work with huge celebrities And I very much wanted to use that to kind of, I suppose, give me a platform as a stylist, because that was kind of what I pivoted into. And just as I suppose as a bit of background, I obviously I studied fashion design. My idea was to bring out a fashion brand. And it was one of my tutors back in Ireland had said to me, you're a stylist. You're not a fashion designer. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I hadn't even considered it as a career. And she was like, every time you make an item of clothing, you do a photo shoot. 
and you I, I and I did I used to basically like we'd I, we'd finish a dress or an item of clothing and I'd bring it home and I'd get one of my gorgeous friends and I'd go and take photos of them and I'd put it into a little scrapbook and then I'd bring it in and show everybody and she was like you don't see the finished item as the clothing you see the finished item as a photo of the clothing and she's like you're a stylist and I was like oh and I did because I used to do these like big shoots with my friends and like you know I'd do their hair and their makeup and we'd choose somewhere to shoot it and I was like okay so like she saw that in me before I even considered it as a career path and when she said that I was like right I need to look at this a little bit more so I started looking at courses then and we didn't have any courses in Ireland so I was like right I'm going to look at the UK and that's when I found that postgrad and that definitely gave me a taste for it and then I started in the boutique and I was you know I'd always worked in fashion anyway since I was like 16 I always had part-time jobs you know working at in retail I worked in Topshop and All Saints and all these different places so it was just again it felt like a very natural organic kind of route but yeah came back to Ireland then and was like so I'm a stylist and was basically like we don't really have the same level of celebrity that there is in the UK let's say um and and the ones that we do have usually leave and they'll usually go and live in the states with the UK our celebrity circle in Ireland it's so much smaller and when they're being styled by by a stylist it's usually for a project like when they're on tv doing a series it's not like of an more of an everyday or a red carpet thing so I was like okay I need to pivot again here what way am I gonna take my career like I was emailing tv companies going like can I style your presenters that are on the shows and stuff and I've got nothing for months I mean eight months I remember sitting in my parents house no money in my pajamas sitting there emailing all day and and feeling down you know what I mean feeling quite disheartened because I'd had this amazing experience in London kind of expected from the success of that to kind of come back to wide open arms of like you're the next big thing in style. Uh, it didn't really quite happen that way. But like, you know, a lot of perseverance, a lot of emails, cold calling, cold emails. I had no contacts here whatsoever. And about eight months later, I got an email back from one of the TV uh, companies basically saying, well, look, we don't actually have that. Like our our, our presenters style themselves or work directly with uh, fashion companies but we are looking for new fashion contributors on the shows. So would you be interested in being on the shows? And I was literally 21 years old. I'd been on Gox Fashion Fix, but like for 10 seconds. So I didn't really have any experience. And I I just learned very early on to be a yes girl. And I just said, yes, yes, no problem. I, I would love to be on. I have loads of experience. I'm, yeah, like, and I just talked about how amazing I was, picked myself up. and. Then they were like, okay, we'll send us in some ideas that you want to do on the show. And then we'll do like a, a screen test. So I had a phone call with them just to kind of talk the talk, sent them in some ideas. And I was on the way in weeks later for a screen test. And on the motorway, on my way in driving, I get a phone call to say, look, we're really sorry. We've canceled the screen test. Something's come up. And like, you know, your heart just sinks because I'd been building all this up. And then the next thing they say, literally five seconds later is, but is there any chance that you can be here tomorrow morning at like 5.30 a.m. with two models and six outfits ready to go live at 7 a.m.? And I was like, yes, yes, no problem. 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not a problem. Hang up the phone and I'm like, pulled in at the side of the motorway, realized I had absolutely no contact with any modeling agency here. I'd never borrowed clothes from any shop because I, I wasn't a working stylist here yet. So I basically turned around, went home, borrowed my dad's credit card, went to like the local shops here, like the Zara's and the Primarks and went in, got a bunch of clothes, phoned up an agency I'd never spoken to and explained the situation to them. And I just pulled it together. I mean, I was still working at midnight that night trying to create these outfits. But my first live experience, 21 years old, the next morning with like 12 hours notice or whatever it was. And I feel like being thrown into that. It was like a sink or swim kind of moment. But I obviously did an okay job because they started asking me back. And then I was given a regular slot. I was on every second week for years. That definitely gave me a platform here to use that I was like a voice of fashion, a voice of style, and that I really wanted to work behind the scenes. I wanted to do like the photo shoots and the big campaigns, but I used that as my kind of stepping stone so that the brands knew who I I was. So when I was actually phoning brands up and approaching brands then to be like, hey, I'd love to do your next campaign, they already knew who I was because I was on TV and I was on so regularly and I was on talking about fashion. So yeah, that was kind of, In a nutshell, that's kind of how it happened. Wow. There's so many things I want to pick up off the back of that. Firstly, I wonder if that teacher at your college ever knew how much of an impact that then ended up having on your career. I know. I've said it a few times in interviews. I wonder. Yeah, I've never been back to the college. I'm always like, they've never asked me back to give a chat. (laughs) (laughs) You just sent an email. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm like, hey, yeah, I, I mean, I have I have uh, bumped into a different tutor and they were aware, obviously, they're aware that I'm working in fashion and what I've been doing. Um, and I've always kind of said that. So I hope she knows. I hope she does. I hope she does. I, I think it's so interesting that along anyone's journey, someone can say something, what they might deem as not that significant a comment, but it can really like change your trajectory because you're like, oh, hold on a sec. That actually really resonates with me. And that's why whenever you're on your journey in life, and especially when you're trying to develop your career, I think it's so important to just talk to people because one person might say something which might give you an idea to then go and look at X job or, you know, I definitely know in my career, and I studied PR and marketing at uni. I was like, this isn't for me. I don't know what I'm doing. And then speaking to someone, and I, I have told her this, and she was like, I can't even remember saying it. But one of the HR directors said to me, oh, I think you'd be really good in HR, Alyssa, because you're a people person. And then that made my whole career go into that area until then I you know, trained to be a coach and, and obviously left and started working for myself. But for her, she couldn't even remember that she'd said that. So I think also it's like a encouragement to anyone listening to this is like if you see something in someone tell them because they might not see it in themselves yeah a 100% I actually have an amazing young girl working with me at the moment she's been assisting me on some shoots and she's so young she hasn't even left school yet and she's always asking me because she's very creative but she's also very practical and like pragmatic Mm. and she's like I want to do the college experience she wants to go that route but she loves fashion and like I'm always saying to her I was like yeah but literally the world is your oyster so like 
go and study something in communications because she's brilliant. And I know it's a generational thing as well, but she's amazing at creating TikToks and content and things like that. And she loves fashion. So I was like, why don't you go do something like communications, which gives you that more in-depth introduction into that field, but you can use fashion in that way. You can merge them all together. Like those kind of courses weren't even around really when I was doing it. She's always kind of using me as a soundboard and I'm very aware that somebody that age can be so inspired isn't even the right word but they they can pick because that was me her age so they can pick up on these things so I don't want to lead her too much but then at the same time I'm trying to inspire her to have the the future that she wants to have you know exactly and I think sometimes it can feel like I just want to be working I just want to be doing the things that I want to be doing and actually life is it's so long and also and like I feel like every year gets quicker and quicker but I know when I was younger it always felt like I just want to be working I just want to be doing this I just want to be doing that and actually I probably should have just enjoyed being in that moment I was in exactly and obviously she might change her mind she might not want to like as in she loves fashion but I don't think it was like for me I didn't look at anything else. There was nothing else for me but fashion. That was it. I don't think I even looked at another college course. It was just, what colleges have fashion? Great. Like, that was it. (laughs) I did not cast the net very far. It was like, that's it for me. Done. Because I'm I'm the person where I'm the other side of the coin where I was like, I had no idea for so long, for so long. But... When I've actually thought back, the youngest sort of memory I have where I was like, this is a job I think I want to do, was a child psychologist. Mm. That is kind of, you know, I'm I'm obviously not a psychologist, but I'm helping people. I want to go down that therapy route and train to be a therapist. And I sort of sometimes a little smile to myself where I did know what I wanted to do. And, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, you know, I should have just trained and done psychology at uni. But Maybe that wasn't the right time for me to do that. I needed to go off, have a separate career. And then now I'm older, feel more able to do that as a job. Because I know when I thought about that when I was younger, I was sort of just so overwhelmed by the idea of holding space for people and taking on people's emotions. Yes. I was a bit like, oh, it's scary. I'm just going to avoid it. But now I'm like, I did always know what I wanted to do. But it just took, it took me a little bit longer to do the full circle. But to be honest, I do think that's more normal. Mm. It's very rare for somebody who's 18, 17, 18, 19, when you're making that decision. It's this big life decision about what core, like you're basically saying, what career do you want at that stage? And like, now we know better. Now we know that doesn't mean anything, that you can obviously life veers, life changes. You can change your mind as often as you want. Mm -hmm. You are not stuck down one route. Exactly. But when you're making that decision, and especially back when I was anyway, it kind of felt like you were making a decision for life. Yeah. You know? It feels big. Um, And a lot, yeah, it's a big decision. And a lot of people, it's really scary thing to have to decide Mm. at, at, at such an early young age when you're so impressionable. And I think most people, not everybody changes their mind. So like most people or a lot of people are, let's say, I don't want to use the word stuck, but let's say stuck mm. in a career or a role that they kind of just fell into because that was the course they chose and now they're in it. Yeah. And they might not, they might not be very passionate about it. And like, it's more of a, 
work during the week, do your nine to five, but then make your money and live, live the rest, you know, live for your weekends, live for the evenings. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that either. Like Mm -hmm. if that's what you choose to do. But then there are other people like yourself who have done a number of different courses, change their mind as they go because they evolve as people anyway and they grow. I do think I am a rare, rare case that I was literally born with like I came out of the womb holding a vogue or something I don't know like that's that's what it feels like (laughs) and I think that's such a good point you made in terms of like if you don't feel completely fulfilled in your job but it pays you a good amount of money and that is really important you can go off I don't know travel and spend loads of do loads of lovely things in the weekends for that if that makes you feel happy then there's nothing wrong with that I'm be always driven by am I happy in this job yes or no and that's been above money for me but and I remember when I was in a previous job and I'd resigned from it and I was telling one of my colleagues I'm going I don't feel happy I don't feel fulfilled I need to leave and figure out what is going to fulfill me and they basically said that they felt the exact same way they didn't feel fulfilled they didn't like it but for them they felt like they'd got to a level of earning a certain amount that they just didn't want to drop down and like it gave them the lifestyle that they wanted and I think before that, I was a bit like, you know, blinkers on in my own world where I was like, happiness is the most important thing. And she, you know, she made me realize that that's not for everyone. For her, it was right to stay in that because it gave her the lifestyle and that was more important for her. So yeah, ultimately it's connecting to what is the most important thing for you. And if you do that, then you will feel happiest, I think. Yes. Like, I mean, what she was I guess talking about was stability and like having Mm. that stability and I think when you leave it's a risk like you Mm. know what I mean if you go and start your own business it's a risk if you go and try and start a different career or like re-study relearn it's a risk exactly and I suppose it just depends on whether you want to take that risk or not I wanted to share something that's helped me on my journey and I really hope it helps you on yours too and that's identifying my values and this has especially come in handy when I have been making these big decisions in my life and big decisions with my career. So in terms of values I'm talking about what's important to you, what drives you, what gets you out of bed in the morning. So we've spoken about happiness and stability here but it could be things like giving back or freedom this is really up to you and what I like to do is identify my top five and use them as a way to check in with myself when I'm making big decisions. So just to sense a check, does this actually align with what is important to me in life? Even for me, I've made pivots within my career that would potentially be, be considered risky or a change. So like I did TV for years. So I was the kind of like the main fashion girl on the morning channel here. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose I just got a bit bored of it. It got a bit, for me, I kind of felt like I was kind of regurgitating the same stuff over and over and that I wasn't, I wasn't evolving. And this new show was on, which was more like kind of like e-news mm-hmm. style. It was very fast paced and it was a bit cooler and a bit of a younger audience. And it was every night aired between like six and seven. So you were getting that, that kind of catchment of people coming in the door. It had really high viewership. And I had the opportunity, it was in the same TV company. So I had the opportunity to kind of switch from the morning show and go on to this show, which I did a couple of years in. And then I was kind of known as the main fashion girl on that show. Um, And I did that for years. And then again, I got a bit bored. And I was like, 
I was even doing like actual presenting. I wasn't just like a contributor. I was actually like presenting my own segments and I loved it. But I feel like, again, a few years in, I was just kind of saying the same thing over and over. Mm. And I was at the, on the side, I was I was doing photo shoots. So I was doing magazine covers and photo shoots and campaigns for clients. But I felt like because I was on that show so often and so regularly, filming like maybe three days a week, that I wasn't putting my all into the production of the photo shoots that I was doing. So I wasn't doing it to the level that I wanted to. And I made a really risky decision to say, okay, that's enough. No more TV. So I told them I wasn't doing it anymore and that I was going to concentrate on the magazines and on the campaign photo shoots. But I was on three days a week. It was a big income. It was like, you know, probably 50% of my earnings came from that. And I had to make that decision to evolve my career and to bring myself up to the next level of what I expected from myself and to thrive and to get excited again about what I was doing. I was like, that's, that's where I'm going with this. So I made that decision. I think everybody at the time was a bit like, really? Like, because I was, I was on so often and they gave me like, I don't want to say carte blanche, but they kind of, you know, they trusted me that they'd let me kind of do pretty much whatever I wanted on the show. If I said, this is the cool new thing, or this is a brand I want to promote. They'd be like, yeah, cool. And now it's funny because so then I spent years working just doing like photo shoots and like traveling the world. Like that was one of the main things for me. I was like, I don't really mind where I'm based because there was a stage, you know, early on in my career that I was like, well, I have to be in London or New York to be, to be making it in fashion. And then there was a level like, you know, Ireland is a small country, but I'm like, I'm a big fish in a small pond or do I want to leave and be a small fish in much bigger ponds? There's pros and cons to both. But I suppose what I had here was the best of both worlds because I had stability because I was getting a lot of jobs. And, you know, I was I had credibility in, in the industry. I kind of made that decision to stay here then. But with that meant that I could travel the world because I had brands that would let me fly to Mexico and shoot swimmer campaigns and fly to Iceland and shoot their winter campaigns. And I've literally been everywhere shooting for all these different amazing brands. And I was like this is an incredible opportunity but then interestingly so I'm 15 years in business now and with obviously like COVID in the mix and stuff but within the last two years I've been like pivoting back into being in front of the camera Mm. and back into so I've, I've just launched my own like YouTube mini series called Closet Confidential and this has been in the pipeline for a while I've been pitching it to TV shows before uh, COVID and then I did it as like a live series during lockdown and I was kind of like coming like three days a week coming on interviewing people about their personal style and I was like oh I kind of missed that and I've now made it into a YouTube series so I've kind of come full circle back to 15 years ago that I'm front of camera chatting about fashion and now the industry has changed so much as well there's a lot of brands would have taken all their campaigns in-house magazine industry as we know is not exactly flourishing so there's less and less kind of photo shoots to be doing so I feel like it was organically happening anyway but also there are less jobs within the photo shoot realm and in the mix I had two babies so (laughs) it's kind of like I'm I feel like I'm in an I I feel like I'm almost in like my third phase Mm. of, of of my career in that like this is I feel like the new phase of me and I've kind of stepped away a lot from styling 
and I'm being hired a lot more as a creative director where I still come up with the creative concept for the brand and I'm still very much there on set. But on a lot of shoots, I'm hiring in young stylists and I'm kind of nurturing them, working very closely with them, but nurturing them on set to kind of overtake that side of things because any stylist will tell you there's so much involved in logistics and like the business side of it, borrowing the product, returning the product, all that side of things, which that doesn't excite me anymore. But the create the entire creative side of it, like seeing a vision come to life from concept to print still excites me. But I don't feel like I need to be the one putting the clothes on the model or even getting the clothes. If I'm talking with a stylist and talking about the vision and trusting them to bring what is needed to set and what is needed to bring that vision to life. So yeah, I definitely feel like I'm in my third phase now. And do you enjoy that nurturing part where you get to support those younger stylists? Yeah, definitely. And look, it's not without its issues. I have been on set where I was, I brought some, a a young stylist on and they didn't deliver. And that was a very stressful time because I was trusting them. They, I thought they had enough experience. I thought we had, you know, enough conversations around what was needed. I'd sent lists of things and they just didn't turn up with the right quantity or the right level of product. And then there was this stressful moment on set where I was like, okay, so like, what are we going to do? And, you know, sending them off to shops last minute and things like that. And that was, you know, that was a learning, that was very early on when I first started doing it. And I definitely learned from that. But again, a a great learning experience for them and a great learning experience for me won't happen again. And we definitely had like a massive debrief afterwards. But I do love that. I do think, you know, there's so much incredible talent out there and, I didn't really have anybody that did that for me. So, and I never assisted anybody. So a lot of people will assist now and they will use that as their stepping stone into the industry. And I have had incredible assistance over the years and I've always helped them in the next phase, getting the next job, like always recommend them for jobs and stuff like that. And I'm still, like, I still have one of my oldest assistants still phones me up and uses me as a sounding board when it comes to an issue with a client or whatever. And I have great relationships with all of my old interns and all of my old assistants. We still chat all the time. And so, yeah, I definitely, I feel like it can be an industry that people think is very bitchy and very, standish and there there are elements of that from other people maybe or from different areas but not for me I was I'm a I, I never wanted that to be I feel like I feel like that's such an old way of thinking about the fashion industry that there's all this competition and that you have to like bring somebody else down to bring you up I'm very much like there's enough work out there and that we can share and that we can like if I can't take on a job I'm phoning up a fellow stylist and I'm like saying hey I'd love to recommend you for this job and I'm doing intros and I think that's the way any industry should be because I think that's the only way you 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 grow and other people grow and your industry mm-hmm. grows and it, it it works both ways like I mean I always you get back what you put out for sure 100% I love that and I think some people might be listening to this having some of those like misconceptions and thinking oh gosh everyone's awful or you know it's going to be like putting people down to get up and just to hear that hopefully we'll reassure um some people um something I wanted to pick up on is that risk you took then when you were like I'm leaving tv what actually drove you to 
take the risk? Like what made you take that risk? Because I think so many people are sitting on that edge and it's like, do I take this risk now and do something else and follow maybe a passion I've always had? Or do I stay where I am? Or do I, you know, pivot my career, whatever it might be. What was your thing where you were like, I I, I need to do this. This is what's really going to push me forwards. I think for me, it was like this burning desire to be the best version of me. So like I, I have good self-belief and I knew I could be an amazing fashion stylist. Like that was credible that like my peers would be like, oh, that is good. Like, damn, I wish I did that shoot or you know what I mean? And I didn't think I had put that out there from myself yet because I was always stretched so thin. Like I was working six days a week. I was getting up at like five, six o'clock in the morning and I was working till 7 p.m. at night. So I was stretching myself really thin so that I could fit everything in. But the shoots that I was doing were done on limited time because I was spending so much time on TV because it takes up so much time. And I was like, I know I can do a better job. I know if I spend, instead of spending one day producing a shoot, if I spend three days producing a shoot, and really putting my all into it, I can do something epic. And I like I really wanted to do international shoots, not only campaigns internationally, but I wanted to do shoots that were going to be printed internationally. And like, I was like, if I'm not doing shoots to the level of what I want, then that's not going to happen. So yeah, I just kind of, I suppose it was that fire for me to be, to be putting the work out there that would make me proud of myself. And and I I did lose the stability by doing that. It was a risk. The risk was more financial than anything else because, like I like I said, it was it was almost fifty percent of my income. And if you think about it, at this stage, social media and Instagram was only just kind of coming up. So I wasn't really doing social media collaborations at the time. So like now, I would say my income is probably fifty percent social media collaborations and fifty percent like the actual fashion work. But at the time, I didn't really have that. But I just wanted, I really wanted to put work out there that I was proud of. And I think I've just got to a point, I'm always, I'm a very creative person. So again, I'm kind of at the point now where I've done so many shoots that I was like, right, what work do I want to put out there? What do, what do I want the the world to see of me? Like, what, what is the work that I'm proud of? And I had this idea for Closet Confidential. So I was kind of like, that's been, it's, again, it was kind of like, it's been behind the scenes for so long. I was kind of like toying with different versions of it. And I feel like that's kind of, yeah, my new way. Not to say that I won't do photo shoots. I still am. I'm working as a creative director for a couple of different brands at the moment. And like, yeah, I'm working with like a young music artist, kind of restyling her for like her new album and things like that. So I suppose I wanted to do things that excited me again and got got that passion driven because I think when you do something for too long, it was that kind of monotony. Like I was like, it's, it sounds bizarre, but like I was on an amazing TV show and I wasn't excited about it. And I'm just one I needed to be excited. I remember when I was first going on the show, I'd be getting up and making sure my hair and my makeup was perfect. And by the end of it, I'm like, I haven't washed my hair in three days. It's grand. You know, like it was, it was that kind of like, I don't like, there was almost like a level of boredom to it. Like it was, it came so easy to me. And I was like, if I'm not being challenged and if it's not exciting me, I need to find what's next and what is. 
And if someone had told younger you, you're going to be on TV three days a week or whatever it was, right? What do you think younger you would have said? Oh, I mean, younger me was a bit wild. (laughs) And I loved the camera. (laughs) Um, I was a bit of a performer. So I'm like, my parents say they're not surprised at all. And I'm, I, I don't easily scare. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not camera shy. Um, So again, probably a natural progression, not something I went looking for. So I never, it's not something I I was like, I never was like, oh, I want to be on TV. Um, Like I said, it was very accidental how it came about. I wasn't, I was emailing the TV companies to work behind the scenes. But again, it, it was probably, yeah, it probably would have happened at one stage anyway. Maybe if it didn't happen that early on, maybe like as a fashion expert uh, later down the line, maybe it would have happened anyway. But I don't think, she, I don't think younger me would be surprised. I love that. So when you moved back to Ireland and you were like, right, okay, got to like get some work and you were sending all those emails, no responses. How did you keep yourself motivated? Because I think that's a lot... You know, a lot of people will feel that whether they're applying for jobs or trying to look for opportunities or whatever it is, people often hit a wall when they're just like, oh, what's the point? And it almost tells them, oh, this was never going to work out or I was never going to be able to be successful doing this. And then they might just go back to doing something else. So how did you keep yourself motivated? I'd love to know because I my, my visual of it, I do remember sitting in my pajamas crying at my parents computer so like it like I I don't remember it being a very motivating time I remember it being a very upsetting very depressing time I also came back when the recession in Ireland was announced so it was like I remember like it's the first time actually that my parents probably were a little bit more like pragmatic and they were like maybe you should just get a job in retail to tie you over and my mum always says this and I turn around and I was like no I'm a stylist. I don't, I don't work in retail. And I was very stubborn is probably the best word, which is like, I signed on the dole. So like I signed on for like the, what is it in the UK? I don't know what it's called in the UK, but like the. I know what you mean. I can't think of the word either, but yeah. I, yeah. Uh, so like the government gave me money yeah. to do nothing, not, not to do nothing, but like while, while you're, while you're job hunting, yeah. Yeah. they, um they give you money. And then I decided that I was going to actually just start my own career as a stylist rather than trying to get in-house with somebody because that obviously wasn't working. I was like, right, well, if nobody's going to hire me into their company, I will be my own entity. I will be a stylist working for myself, working for different brands. So there was like um, a government funded thing at the time because we were in a recession that you got a bit of money if you were trying to launch a business. And I used that to set up a website and I used that to enroll in like a computer course. I suppose just to keep me like motivated and doing something. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was only enough to do those two things. But again, it gave me the opportunity. Like it wasn't a great website, but I was putting up all the pictures of the people that I'd styled in the UK and like a little bio. And I was trying to do test shoots for free, just to try and like meet people and get my name out there. Like with friends, like, you know, I was getting my friends to model and I was shooting it myself or shooting it with like, you know, somebody that was still in college. So just trying to, I suppose give myself the experience that I needed that I didn't really have. Like I was still only 21 and fresh out of college, but trying to get a job as a stylist, like, you know, bigging myself up. Because realistically, when I look back, 
I didn't have a lot of credentials. You know, I'd worked for like 18 months in London and I'd worked in retail before that part time. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of experience there. So, yeah, I, I do remember it being a really hard, really depressing time. Like I was in a very privileged position that I could live with my parents and I they didn't make me pay rent and that like you know I didn't have any overheads there's a lot of people that aren't in that position so I made the decision to move home and I was you know there was food on the table for me you know what I mean I didn't have to go out and get a part-time job they were like I mean I would have had to eventually but like they were very supportive in, in that way and I was like you know sitting at the computer emailing people phoning people trying to like, you know, update this website, sending that out to people, sending my CV out. So I was very productive in that way, like trying to keep myself productive and trying to email people. But it is disheartening. There's no other way to look at it. Like like I would say, I'm I'm a very stubborn person. So I guess in the best possible way. (laughs) But I guess that that stubbornness in me didn't let me quit. Mm even when I had tough days. Mm. And like, I remember because like my dad worked from home and like, so he was, you know, in his like office at the back and I was like sitting in the family room, PJ's on. Like, and I do remember him coming into me going, you need to get dressed because that'll motivate you more. Like you sitting in your pajamas doesn't help anything. And we'd then start going out for a coffee during the day and just like little things, just trying to, I mean, we know so much more about wellness now even than we did 15 years ago but like you know my mom would be like go out go for a walk in my head I was like I don't need exercise but like now I know what that would have done for me yeah like you know mentally yeah even now if I don't go for a walk I can notice I just don't feel as good as good mood Mm. if I haven't gone for a walk every day well 100% I need fresh air every single day and if I don't get it, I, you yeah, you can feel it affecting you. So, yeah, I mean, lucky I have a big dog that needs a walk and a baby. So they're my excuse to get out every day. But yeah, no, I, I need it just for my for, for my own mental health. Mm, and I think so many things you said there, hopefully people can pick up on and almost translate them to their life. Because I was thinking even about when I've had periods of, you know, not working or feeling like what am I going to do and I need to find a job and and it is those little things like getting up making the bed getting dressed like going for yes. a walk going out like having little moments in your day whether it's like a coffee with one of your parents or like a friend or something because otherwise all the days just like merge into one and you can very easy just find yourself being like I'll just stay in my pajamas I'll just stay in bed you just don't feel as good I love that though. Sorry, the the making of the bed, because that is something that I learned very early on. And it's something I do every single day. I'm in the 5am club, sometimes before the 5am club. So really? I, yeah, I, and I have been, I have been for about 12 years, I would say. So before kids then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get away for the kids. <laughs> um, okay, talk me through this then, talk me through it. Yeah, I've always I've always been an early riser mm. throughout my career anyway. But like I went from like I would actually say it's more like 10 years. So I would have been I would have always got up around like 7. My dad was always an early riser, but I would have always got up like 7. But if you think 15 years ago 7 was early. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. But about 10 years ago I met my partner, my boyfriend, and he used to get up at like six o'clock 
at the time. And he kind of just like, he was like, oh, I just love getting like one up on the world and, you know, being at my desk before everybody else and blah, blah, blah. And I started getting really into like health and fitness around that time. So Mm -hmm. I started getting up at six and going to the gym. And I was like, so I got my workout done before most people were up. And gyms were always open early. I got my workout in and then I was like at my studio and I was ready to go and I was still getting an hour before anybody else. And it was all that kind of boring email prep work that like, because when the day started, when it was nine o'clock, I had to be in the shops pulling outfits and things like that. And so I always found getting up early definitely gave me a more productive day. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the rest of the world started catching up traffic started getting busier in the mornings and then as it started getting busier and other people started getting up earlier I started getting up even earlier and even earlier to when it got to the point where like sometimes I'll get up at 4 30 you know what I mean or five now I do I'm a sunrise girl I also find something about the sunrise to me is like awakening my soul Mm. or something so I live by the beach and I love, I just love watching the sunrise. So sometimes I'll just get up and I'll just have like my my cacao or my coffee. I'll take in the sunrise. Obviously with the babies, I can't go up and do, you know, a swim or a, like a full workout just yet. But I do get to my computer early and I'll get all my work done because my youngest is only 14 months old. So she's not in childcare yet. So I have her here with me during the day. So I am limited with with the amount of work that I can take on at the moment. So those couple of hours in the morning are precious to me now. But even pre-kids, those few hours in the morning, I would use them for, you know, for well-being and mental health stuff. So go for a C-swift, you know, meditate. I still meditate, but like um, work out like and then still you would still have time to be at the desk, getting the boring admin invoicing, like working for yourself. It's all that boring stuff that takes up so much time mm-hmm. um, and you get all of that before most people are at their desk. So when it comes to nine o'clock, you just got your normal day ahead of you then, whether that was for me filming or being on set for a photo shoot or whatever it was. So I found that. Yeah, like, I mean, I was doing the 5am club before that book came out. Yeah. So when that book came out, I was like, I, may, I don't need the book. I'm yeah. already there, I get you, you know? I think it says it in the book. I haven't actually read it, but like that, you know, a lot of the successful CEOs around the world are all, you know, they all get up at 5am. So there's something in it. They're, like, I'm not in the successful millionaire billionaire club yet, but I'm I'm hoping if I you keep will going be. at 5am, I'll get there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> what time do you go to sleep? About 9.30. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, do you know what? Somebody said this to me before, and I don't know who it was, but they said, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, you're kind of right. If, if you're obviously like, you know, different if you're in Ibiza and you want to go out or whatever. But like, other than that, terribly good always happens after 10 p.m. So I was like, yeah, okay, good point. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be in bed. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a 5am person. I I don't think I've ever, unless I'm, unless I've had to get up for a flight, I don't think I've ever got up at 5am, but I do like getting up early and I do love my morning. You know, I'm not, I'm not a person where I'm like every single morning I've got to do the same routine, but just doing a few things for your wellbeing. Like at the moment, I'm very like, get up, Pilates, go for a walk. And then like, then I can get ready. And I just already feel like so much better for the day. And I was listening to something the other day and they did say sunlight early in the morning kickstarts your circadian rhythm 
And then yes. your body like knows, okay, it's time to be awake. And then it's more likely you're going to be able to fall asleep at a better time because your body's like, okay, you've been up a certain amount of hours. Like now is the time to feel tired. So I can I can see so much benefit in it. Like I'm the type of person where I think my husband, I drive him and say that every day I feel like I have to have an alarm because I really don't like lying in. So even on the weekends, I'm like, okay, I'll set my alarm for nine. Like I don't like waking up past nine. And then even that, he's like, well, I don't know why you bother doing it because you're going to be up early anyway. And then like 7 a.m., I'm like, morning. <laughs> I'm, I've never wanted to lie in. Yeah, I'm not even, even when I used to go out loads, I would be that person after a night out. We might go to sleep, I don't know, 4 a.m., 7, 8, I would be up being like, right, okay, what should we eat? <laughs> you know? Yes. I was the exact same, you know, the exact same when I was going out a lot more when I was younger. Didn't matter. I was always up by 7, 7.30, ready to go. I don't know, is it like, she's a busy minds? I don't know. But I was the exact same. I could never, I still can't sleep in. But definitely, even like you would assume after a night out, like that it was the one time that you would. Never. I was always up early making everybody a fry. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> that was me too. I can see why people do do wake up earlier. And I don't know, like I'm I'm definitely enjoying now it's kind of lighter in the mornings, just edging it, you know, just getting it a bit early. Now I'm a bit more like 6.30 than I'm like, so I just, yeah. It is, it is harder in winter. Yeah. yeah. It is harder in winter uh, because obviously if you wake up at 5am in winter, it is pitch black. Yeah. But I think, I think when you just, when it's built into you though, just, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's literally second nature to me now. So yeah. it's, it's not something when like people still kind of go, so early and I'm like is it though like it, it just doesn't seem that early to me anymore you know yeah I think I'm in such a routine that I wake, wake up if I didn't set an alarm I'd wake up about seven o'clock every morning like even if I'm really tired or I, I don't need to be up that early so I do think it just like your body gets used to waking up at that time so probably now you wouldn't be able to sleep any later no matter what whether it was dark or light outside because you're just like my body's awake yeah Literally, body clock wakes me up at five a.m., <laughs> and then the kids wake up at seven. So I get my I get my two hours to myself. <laughs> That's nice. Have a bit of you time. What if someone is listening to this and they're like, "I would love to do what you do. Everything you talk about and everything that you do, they're just like, oh my god, being on TV, being creative director, being a stylist. What advice would you give to that person?" It's hard because I think the industry has changed so much since I started. So the roots in are so different. There wasn't social media at all. Like we had Facebook, that was it. So there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram when I started my career. And I know young stylists who now don't even study anything to do with it and use their Instagram and their TikTok accounts to create their portfolio. And they use that instead of a website and they get, you know, gorgeous girls that they're in school with or, you know, that they know to model and they can use their own wardrobe to style things. Because like obviously vintage and like secondhand is so in, especially in the the, that whole, the fashion realm at the moment, they don't even have to go and borrow clothes. So it's it's such a different world now that it's almost hard for me to advise somebody because like my route in is like you don't have to study fashion to be a fashion stylist or to be a creative director. I do think the most important thing, no matter what, is experience. So whether that's experience where you do it yourself, 
you invest time, like, you know, maybe collaborate with other people who are up and coming photographers, up and coming or aspiring models. Um, and you kind of come together and create this idea for a photo shoot and literally do it from your own wardrobe and start building up a, a like a portfolio and putting your name out there and like trying to do, you know, smaller jobs, maybe for free at the beginning, just to kind of get your name out there. That's one route. Another route I would say is still assisting. Approach a stylist whose aesthetic you like. So every stylist, like I could I could literally look at each stylist and each photographer. You could put their pictures in front of me and I'd be, probably be able to tell you who did what. Because each stylist, each creative director and each photographer have a different vibe and a different look. And more often than not, you, you can tell them apart. So... There's no point in you assisting somebody who has this like really avant-garde, futuristic, everything's like just really out there if you envision yourself being a commercial stylist and you actually love, I don't know, Tommy Hilfiger stuff. So you need to kind of, I suppose, if you're going to assist, maybe you don't know yet. So maybe you want to assist a few different people and learn that. But if you do know what kind of stylist you might want to be, if that's the route that you want to go, definitely do your research because I do get in emails from people wanting to assist sometimes, but they haven't, obviously they haven't looked at my recent work and they will reference international photographers and stylists that they love. And I'm like, but if you love them, I'm not the person for you because that's not my, my work. And that's not what you'll get. You won't learn that from me. You should actually talk to this stylist and this stylist. So I would, I would definitely say if it's something that you're passionate about and something that you want to you know maybe dive into or have a little bit more of an insight into assisting would be a really good way um and also then doing it yourself and just kind of building a portfolio but I will say I do get a lot of dms from people looking to assist email like it's still old school I would still email if you're looking to assist because dms get lost and if you if you dm somebody during a busy time no matter who they are they might not even see them because I think there's like hidden dms as well but like it might just get lost whereas if you email somebody and you know send all of your information what you love about their work is always nice I love like you know not not to like stroke the ego but like just to show that you're interested in their work and that you've done the research that's impressive to me you know what I mean that you're not just this isn't a copy and paste Mm -hmm. I you know that that personal touch does make a difference so if you are looking to reach out to somebody you should definitely go with the personalized email big difference yeah definitely and you obviously said you kind of feel like you're in your third phase of your career do you think about the future? Do you plan, do you have like where you want to be in five years, 10 years, a year, or do you just kind of like to go with the flow a bit more? I used to be a stickler for my manifesting goals. I used to write them. I'd write them down every year. I'm actually looking at the wall now. I'd write them down and then I would turn the paper around and I'd put it on the wall. So I couldn't see what they said. And then I check at the end of every year, see what I could tick off, what I achieved. And honestly, more often than not, I know manifesting is such a big kind of buzzword at the moment. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, like if I wrote five things, usually three or four of them did happen. And that one thing that didn't happen, that would be on the list for the next year until I made it happen. And it was funny because I remember one of the things that I wrote down years ago. I'm trying to think how many years ago, you know, seven years ago, let's say. And I wrote down Vogue 
I mean, you got to put it out there. You know, it was, it, it was a big dream, but I was like, let's put it out there. And it never happened. And I remember like, I was kind of feeling, oh, like that was one of the ones that just never, like I never got that goal and that's fine, you know. And then I realized that, and I, I literally realized this about two months ago. Like this is like, so years later, I realized that about five years ago, I was interviewed by Vogue.com for a feature they did, which was called A Cool Girl's Guide. And it was called A Cool Girl's Guide to Dublin. And they took a photo of me and they interviewed me about like my top spots to like shop and eat and all that sort of stuff in Dublin. And it never clicked with me. That was Vogue. Like that, it, it was a, it, okay. Cause all I put was Vogue. I didn't put, I want to shoot in Vogue. I want to do an editorial. I just put Vogue. And like, okay, it was two years later, but it actually only clicked with me a couple of months ago. I took that all. And it was like, it was like oh, this kind of like aha moment. Um, I'm, I was obviously talking to somebody about like writing lists and goals and things like that. And it just clicked with me at that moment. And I was like, okay. So like, it really does work. Yeah. To put those goals out there. I do. I'm very much like they, they'd be like my yearly plans. And I still do that. I still write down like last year I put down Closet Confidential. That was like top of my list. That was like, you are making that happen. And by the time, like by the time it came to the beginning of this year, I had signed my sponsor. So like I haven't started filming, but the production was in the works. I'd been, you know, very much working behind the scenes. So it was almost like 12 months to the to the week that I signed my my sponsor. So I was like, it definitely, I, I have a big belief in writing things down and making things happen. I do also have like five-year plans and kind of where I want to be at a phase in my life, not necessarily always career-wise, but um, I definitely feel like I've come full circle. I'm doing like obviously more media side of things now. I do think at some stage I'd love to revisit the idea of being a designer. So mm. I, I would definitely say never say never. It's kind of like on the five-year plan that I might dip my toe back into that. Like it was something that I was obviously so in love with in my youth. I have done collaborations. So I did a collaboration with... Um, Buffalo Shoe Lab here where I designed my own shoe collections for two years and that was really successful and I loved doing that so it's definitely something that thrills me and again it's kind of like it like we were talking about earlier I was like I feel like if I ever get bored I need to add that fire underneath me yeah. and get excited again and get creative again so yeah never say never exciting I feel like you were doing manifestation and waking up at 5am before anyone else was doing manifestation or talking about it and waking up at 5am. <laughs> and I think it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I definitely have noticed that too, where you can write things down and you don't think you've achieved them. And then all of a sudden you're like, hold on, that did happen or this did happen. It just, it might not happen exactly how you think it is going to. I just wanted to pop into this episode with two quick reminders. Number one, sometimes when we want our dream life to happen, our goals and our vision, we can fixate on it has to happen in this specific way. 
And the thing is about life is it is full of uncertainty and moments that we can probably not even possibly dream of right now. And I know that can feel daunting. I know that can feel scary, but sometimes it happens even better than what we can possibly imagine right now. So release some of that control and just have faith that it will happen in the best possible way for you. And number two, a reminder, revisit that vision board from five years ago. Look back at those goals you set two years ago. I know sometimes they go to the bottom of the drawer and we forget about them, but you might just surprise yourself and see that you tick things off. Yes, it might have taken you a little bit longer than what you initially had hoped for, but it is a magical thing when you realize, oh, I actually did that. Last question that I want to ask you, if someone is listening to this and they feel lost, they feel stuck, they feel confused with what they want to do in life, what three pieces of advice would you give them? Oh, oh God. Uh, that is a, that is a good question. Okay. So first thing I would say is it's okay to be a little bit lost and a little bit confused and like learn to sit with that uncomfortableness because life doesn't always go smoothly and doesn't always go the way you plan anyway. So I think if you can sit with that, yeah, if you can sit with that kind of level of uncomfortableness and learn to be okay with it, you'll be fine no matter what life throws at you because it's not easy. And even when you think people have their shit together, often they don't. And they've often been through loads of different things going back to what we said earlier, like I think people, you know, they only ever see the kind of glossy success story. Now with Instagram, people are putting up maybe the more raw behind the scenes of things. But like, I I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody about sitting there in my pajamas crying in my parents' house and feeling like a failure. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's, it's okay to fail. Failure is the beginning of success. And if you don't have that, like that was probably one of my lowest points. And gosh, like looking back now, how lucky am I that that was 15 years ago? And that since then, I've only been kind of tiptoeing up like a ladder. But yeah, I would say number one is learn to be okay in that kind of uncomfortableness and learn to be okay with quote unquote failure. Number two, I would say is step away from consuming yourself with if it's this career that you want and learn to be happy in yourself first look at wellness because once you're if you're in a better place mentally you'll be better to be able to kind of like take those steps with your career or where you want to push yourself so you know look at if you're near a sea or a pool, look at sea swimming, look at getting up a little bit earlier and meditating, look at some sort of fitness during the day, whether that's like a slow walk or something hardcore, something that really kind of gets your blood going and you're just helps your mental health. Because I think if you're in a bad headspace anyway, you're not, it's very hard to get out of that, mm-hmm. you know? And then I would say the third thing for me would be to learn self-motivation because no one else is going to do it for you. So whether that means buying the motivation books or listening to motivational speeches, I used to do that. I never said this earlier, but when I was driving into town, 
at 5 a.m. I would put on motivational speeches and they could be anything. They could be like basketball players. It didn't matter who I was listening to. Matthew McConaughey does amazing ones. It was different people every day. Denzel Washington. And you'd be listening to these speeches and like it would just didn't matter half the time what they were saying. It would just put you in a good mood and you you would automatically feel more motivated to tackle the day. So I definitely say do something that self-motivates yourself, whether it's listening to those, whether it's starting a personal journal, journaling. I did something called The Artist's Way, which is an incredible book. It's basically journaling every day Mm -hmm. for like three months. It's, It's a lot. But as a creative I've done it twice in the last 15 years. Mm. I do it whenever I feel like I've got into like this artistic rut. And it takes a lot of dedication, but I do recommend it to anybody creative out there that feels like they're in a rut. Go by the artist's way uh, and do it. Just dedicate like half an hour every morning to do this journaling. I won't even say more than that because I think it's something that you just need to kind of dive into yourself. But it was for me, one of the first of its kind I know people know journaling is great now and it's a great way to kind of self-express yourself, but this is a little bit different because it's very much aimed at people who want to work in the creative realm, whether that's you want to be a writer or you want to work in movies or you want to, um, you know, work in TV or you want to be a stylist, that kind of realm. Um, it's incredible. So definitely find something that is a tool for you to give you motivation. And I think that is probably, that's probably number one on my list actually. How amazing were those tips that Courtney just shared? I'm literally Googling motivational speeches right now. I'm also going to link the artist way in the show notes so you can have a look at that too. I loved having this conversation with Courtney and hearing about her journey, how she went from months of sending emails with no response to a cancelled screen test, which became a pivotal moment in her career. It really reminded me that we just had no idea what is coming in life. And I know for a lot of people, uncertainty feels very uncomfortable. Something that I've loved to remind myself of in my journey is the unexpected in life is what makes it so exciting. So start telling yourself that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and I would love to know what you think. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It means the world to me and I want to share it with as many people as possible. If you have any light bulb moments, if you have any feedback, please do get in contact with me over email, DM, share it with your community and I can't wait to see you in another episode.